Fresh off the road from touring with his legendary punk band X, here is John Doe to talk about his new album, Fables in a Foreign Land, recorded by the newly formed John Doe Folk Trio. This is the band who believes that less is more. Check it out. With a mask upon your face And whiskey for a knife So, uh, first of all, tell folks who else is in the trio besides yourself. Well, on the record, it's Kevin Smith playing upright bass, and he, uh, he's a longtime musician. Uh, I've, we've known each other for maybe 10 years now, and um, he plays with Willie Nelson uh, as his regular gig. Right. And then Con- Conrad Shakroon is playing drums, and he's uh, a little bit newer friend, but he's just a terrific drummer uh, plays in the pocket plays behind the beat and plays in the pocket doesn't do he could do lots of fancy stuff but he chooses not to so he's a <laughs> kind of a you know yeah just a, a good sort of uh like an r&b drummer you know that just uh, gotcha, yeah like yeah. james gadden or someone like that and gotcha. um and he's uh he played with a bunch of different people had a few popular bands and, and the last uh, person he was backing up was patty griffin so oh, um, not bad. that's cool yeah yeah they, they have yeah. their they have their uh credits and you know we just started doing this on kevin's back porch during covid <laughs> and uh i i read some of the blurb that comes along with it uh, less is more seems to be the, the 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 mindset to this which makes sense with with a uh, conrad playing the drums as you explained but uh carry that a little bit further for us and tell us what's behind that oh uh you know, being a band leader is, is all well and good, but then you have to, you know, instruct people where you want them to play and where you want them not to play. And if there's fewer people, then there's less direction. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a great guitar player. I, I can service a song. And we wanted to just focus on the songs rather than a lot of instrumentation. And right. uh, it also gives... The other instruments more space to to play melody and and to you know whatever notes and patterns they they want to they want to contribute it has more space to to breathe and and to hear it um, and it was a it was a process you know we we didn't just play new songs we didn't just play my songs when we were figuring this out and it's a sound that I'd kind of had in the in my head for I don't know seven or eight years, but, but couldn't really find. And uh, I think if we were all touring or, uh, you know, making a living uh, during the last couple of years, we wouldn't have had the, the time or dedication to, to make it happen. Right, right. So what, you say it started kind of playing in the back on the porch with, with Kevin Smith. When did it become a thing that you were going to make a record from? <laughs> How did that process occur? Oh. Well, we started in April of 2020, and I guess by, you know, after a year, uh, we had six or seven new songs, and there were a couple of old songs that I knew were going to fit with this um, concept that I had. Um, so somewhere like a year or so into it, you know, once right. once you have a direction, once you have some some idea what you're going to do, then you just start filling in blanks. You know, that's the way that I've I've been able to to write songs and operate. And yeah. Uh, interestingly, 
for the first couple of months, we were just getting together to for something to do. Oh, there you go. And, now, when you say and, the concept, is it is the concept the fact that most of these songs are supposed to take place in the 1890s? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It's, a, it's a concept record, hopefully without the pretension. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and I didn't do it as a, you know, contrived or uh, preconceived uh, idea. I just, it just sort of developed that way. And then I stayed disciplined and didn't bring in a lot of modern um, devices or feelings or, or uh, concepts. Although some of them are you know, universal. The, the idea of masters and slaves, unfortunately, is still with us, um, or, the, or the backlash of that. Right, right, right. So the record starts off with a track called Never Coming Back, which is uh, co-write with Terry Allen. Why is that uh, leading things off? So many people rushing by Everybody dressed in black Whispers up in the sky And never coming back Because um, it, it's uh, the character in it, the, the narrator, has his parents killed and his house burned down. And so there's no place to go except forward. And um, that was kind of the pivotal song. Maybe that was the third or fourth song in this series of songs. And when I finished that, or, or mostly finished it, I thought, well, I, I, I've got a beginning. You know, now right. I just got to figure out the the middle and <laughs> the middle and the end. <laughs> and I sent it to Terry, who's a, kind of a new friend, and he's a terrific songwriter, an amazing visual artist, makes sculptures and installations and things. Um, he kind of he, he grew up with a he was a little bit older, but grew up with Joe Ely and. Jimmy Dale Gilmore and Butch Hancock right. and those those guys from Lubbock. So um, I sent I asked him if he had some lyrics or he had some music that he wasn't doing anything with because I love collaborating even though I'd, I haven't done it that much up until now. And he sent me a whole bunch of more lyrics and I sent him Never Coming Back my version then as just a template. This is kind of the direction that I'm going. And he sent me a bunch of words to additional words for never coming back. And I thought, well, no, this is finished. I mean, just something completely different. But then my second response after I got over myself was to think, oh, shit, maybe it's not finished. Right. And, and right. sure enough, I was able to use the, some of the words that he sent me to make the chorus a little bit bigger and, and also bigger at the end. Cool. Now, in addition to the, the three of you, that there's other folks playing on the record on, on track two, down south, I hear a fiddle in there. There's mm -hmm. there's an accordion. So, who are the other folks, and why are they there? Just to fill in the spaces a little bit. Upon this broken ground, he is seeking a path among the lost and found, between good and bad. Uh, well, yeah. To, to, Maybe to give a little more variety, but also because the songs seem to um, they seem to lend themselves for that to that, right. and we wanted to keep within the acoustic uh, vibe and and the the 
the acoustic format that we already had. Um, Carrie Rodriguez is a woman here in Austin, terrific violinist, and, and she's also part of a, a Broadway play right now. She wrote songs for a play called yeah. Americano. Um, so she's very talented. Um, she played on that song and I think two others. But uh, And then Josh Baca, who's a, in a band called Tex Maniacs, uh, <laughs> very traditional conjunto band, uh, which is a kind of border, Texas-Mexico border music. Right. Um, and uh, he, he just, you know, just threw down. You know, he, he played some really wild stuff, and then he said, well, why don't I just do one Mexican style? And we thought, yeah, that's, that's probably what we, <laughs> what we like, what we need. Very good. Um, uh, I like uh, the cowboy and the hot air balloon is a, is a standout for me. Uh, it's kind of a spoken, huh. sung kind of thing. Yeah. Something to do with a grizzly bear. What, what, what's the story behind that song? He stepped out of the bar and into the street when a hot air balloon swept him off his feet. He wondered to himself, where the hell did that come from? But he made the sign of the cross and prayed to kingdom come. Uh, you know, it, it was one of those great moments where you just wake up and there's a first line of a song in your head. And uh, that first line is, he stepped out of the barn into the street and a hot air balloon swept him off his feet. Right. So I thought, well, there's a beginning. What's going to happen now? <laughs> yeah. And um, I'd say it was influenced by another cowboy song that I learned as a kid, uh, which is called The Sierra Peaks. And it's a pretty old, like probably 30s or 1930s, 40s cowboy song about two guys that have a, uh, you know, like a rodeo camp and they decide to go into town to get and they get drunk. And then on the way home, they run into the devil. Right. And then all sorts of stuff happens. So, uh, but, the, you know, they're, the, even though this record is a little bit uh, dark and, and some dire moments, there is a there is some humor. And, and levity but uh you know sometimes you just get lucky and and something falls into your lap and you just have to um just be grateful and just go with the flow and and see where it takes you and and uh, gotcha. luckily i had had some music that seemed to fit that that rhythm and um uh, okay cool cool I'll do that now, speaking of dark moments, we, we need to talk about Destroying Angels, the song the co-write with Shirley and Exene. Uh, uh -huh. How did that all come about? Destroying Angels, a fatal kiss. Bees made honey upon her lips. She was so pure, without a doubt, until Uh, well, Exene and I do just a, a duo from time to time, right? And we were we were asked to join a tour with Blondie and uh, Garbage. Right. X X had recently toured with Blondie, you know, maybe a year or two before. So Debbie Harry and Chris Stein and Clem Burke and and the rest of the guys in Blondie were pretty friendly, and you know, we'd we'd known each other for a while um, anyway, and. But uh, one day, Exene and Shirley and I were sitting around, and Shirley, just in a very chipper manner, said, "We should just we should write a murder ballad." 
<laughs> it was sort of like, of course. let's go, let's go have coffee someday and we'll have some donuts too or, or, or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and I, of course, what a great invitation. And, and mm-hmm. then nothing really happened for a few months. I saw her again and she goes, oh yeah, I've been meaning to send you the lyrics to that. And then we recorded it with the, with the band Garbage. And, and it had a very, it was in three, four time, which is the way I'd originally written the music. And Exene added words to make the chorus, but then it became very heavy and goth, like, like you know, the band. And uh, we, we released it, which was a great version for uh, Record Store Day here in the right. States on, um, in 2018. And uh, once I was working on this, I thought, well, you know, I'd like to make it more like a folky, put it back to its roots, you know, I'm a, more of a folky murder ballad. And uh, it was pretty easy. You know, I, I just ch- kept most of the same melody and, and just, uh, but there is, a, there is a weird like time signature thing that happens in the chorus where it, it does like a, a measure of three, four, two times in the middle. It's, it's a little tricky. <laughs> okay. But, but you know, the, the thing, my, my theory is that if you, if you naturally do something that's out of time or offbeat or odd or tricky, and if you can repeat it, then you should include it in the song. Sure. Rather than yep, making yep. rather than making everything regimented and, and, and expected, it's um, it's just a little different and and uh, exciting. It, it gives it also gives it happened that way. <laughs> yeah, that that and also it 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 keeps you for a song like this. It, it keeps you a little off balance, which is you know a, a little stranger and and darker and, and that kind of thing uh, lends itself to a to material. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. 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 Another song, El Romance O, features Louis Perez and it's got some Spanish uh-huh. lyrics in it and stuff. What, right. what can you tell me how that came together? El Romance O. Uh, I had a dream, and um, <laughs> I, I did. And I, as you can tell, I'm I'm not very. Um, I don't write a title and then say, "How am I going to construct this song?" I don't. I, I try. I've gotten away from even if if I ever was away from any conscious or academic way of writing songs. It's all. It's much more intuitive and. Uh, dreams and and just things that seem out of the ordinary to 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 start that inspiration. But anyway, I had a dream, and the main thing I remember of the dream was the the name El Romanso, and I thought, well, what kind of a character would this be? Just dreamed on that a little bit, and it started. Um, it it he's, I thought of it as a nickname, and then I thought, well, what if this guy gave himself his own nickname, which you can't do. You know, we. Right. Everybody knows you. You either do something magnificent or you do something incredibly stupid, and that's that's how you get your nickname. <laughs> or you have a you know a physical uh, attribute like red hair or whatever. Right. So right. Uh, I thought, well, <laughs> this guy thinks that he is this, yeah, but he's actually not, and he he just exaggerates or out or outright lies. And because it was um, 
a sort of Spanglish word. I I asked Louis if he would write a verse, some some words in Spanish, and he added a whole nother dimension to the character, which is that uh, you know, like my words are the truth, and I can be your best friend, and um, no one knows how or why he disappeared, only that he was a liar. So the the people that knew him aren't really buying what he's selling. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but it's got a good hook. You know, I, I, this, this also was a little bit like a lot of the record was influenced by that Bob Dylan record. Um, uh, John Wesley Harding. Right. Yeah. He's fairly influential. That Dylan guy. <laughs> <laughs> seems, seems to be. Now, speaking of Louis Perez and Los Lobos, I, I believe Steve Berlin had something to do with the production on the record. What, what was his involvement? Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, he, we called him like the, the, we sort of deferred to him as the producer. Of course, right. I'm, I'm acting as producer and the, the, uh, engineer Dave way, who I've worked with many, many times, he produces all kinds of stuff. He was the producer on the film, uh, echoes in the Canyon recently, oh, right. the, the one with Jacob Dylan. Yeah. And, um, he's, he engineered, um, the early Macy gray records and, and he's, he also mixed uh, Fiona, uh, a number of Fiona Apple records, including the last one, which was just brilliant. That right. Fetch the Bolt Cutter is one of my favorite records. Cool. So we, cool. you know, we just let let Steve kind of run with it, and <clears throat> he he had to keep track of things, and and that's that was a load <laughs> off. That's a load okay. off of my mind because I had enough to deal with, just you know, right? Gotcha. Singing, singing, and playing, and, and things like that. Right, right, right. Fair enough. Yeah. So, what's the plan going forward? As it were, uh, are you going tour forward. with this thing? What, what's... Oh yeah, yeah. We have some dates set up in the in the U.S. in June, going up the East Coast and into the Midwest, and then I think we're going to do a, a run in um, October on the West Coast. You right. know, assuming that the uh, deadly pandemic doesn't return with, with full force. Uh, so, yes. uh, you know, cautiously optimistic and, um, you know, the, the other kind of additional element to this record is that we, you know, we created it live because Conrad would muffle his drums a bit and, you know, Kevin's playing upright bass. So there was no need for amps or PA or any of that sort of stuff. We just right. sang and played into the air on this patio and um, when it came time to record it, we recorded at uh, a studio owned by Jim Eno from Spoon, the uh, right. drummer for Spoon. And we did the same thing. We just sat up in a corner and, and just had to listen to each other and didn't use headphones and knew that we couldn't, you know, fix things and overdub stuff. And so it's all live. You know, we, we did cut between takes on occasion if there was kind of a bum note sure. on, a, on an otherwise yeah. good performance. But it, you know, it was a new understanding of less is more. You know, I mean, right, there's right, some right. lessons that you learn and then you, you have a different application to it. And it's like, oh, oh, it's that. It's an, you know, another way to, to think of it. So, yeah, it, it adds to, uh, you know, something that I'm, I'm interested in. I, I believe you can make records in all kinds of crazy ways nowadays. Um, this is just the way this one turned out. And I, it was pretty rewarding because it was very... Um, actual there was, there was nothing virtual about it gotcha yeah, well, yeah. that's a relief because these days everybody you got bands that never have met they're making records <laughs> i i know and and i've i've done some of that too you know someone will send me some tracks and i'll 
put my thing down and yep. it's not it's, it's not nearly as much fun. No, I'm sure it isn't. No. <laughs> no. Something to be said for being in the same room with somebody and hanging out with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are you thinking about what you're going to do after this? Have you got an, another plan in place? Oh god, no. Okay. I mean, <laughs> but I I mean there there's uh, if all things um hold uh, we're going to do this tour in June, and then X is going to go out with the psychedelic furs in July and oh. August, and that'll be exciting. Very cool. Uh, mostly the states. We're going to go up into Canada a little bit, and uh, but X and the psych furs are a real good combination. Both sure, I'd dark, be there. <laughs> yeah, underlying darkness and and uh, you know both Richard Butler and Xene are great front people, and yep, yeah, it's it's good combo. Um, so speaking of X, um, do you? Uh -huh. Does the, have you noticed over the years the, the, the way that band is perceived has changed? Has it gained or lost traction or its legacy has is, is, is changed as the time goes on? Uh, oh, I think people in general respect the L.A. punk rock scene more yeah, than yeah, they did yeah. maybe 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, now we're into our 40 third year 42nd yeah 42 yeah. years 43 years of, of being a band so yeah people have a lot of respect and and it and the fact that it's all the original members um we're kind of the last punk rock band standing yep and um uh, of original members and yeah I, I mean at some point you realize okay i'm i'm in your what i've done is in a few books and there's photographs and there's documentation and things like that. Then you, I guess you can breathe a little easier. You can think like, well, I've done that. Yep. Um, um, I think we're all really grateful to, to be here. A, cause the, <laughs> yeah, cause the that. alternative is uh, a little grim. We still don't know what that is. And <laughs> yeah, right. maybe incredible. You may it be wondering be, why, why, so. why we're wasting our time down here, struggling and striving. But um, well, the reason I ask is I do a lot of interviews with younger people as well. Well, everybody yeah. younger than me, and uh, uh, you know, I bet you, we're I bet we're about the same age. I think we are probably. I think yeah. I think I got a year on you or something like that. But uh, but okay. um, you're, the the name the band is referenced as influential as something yeah. that you know somebody in their twenties looks to now, and I, I just thought, yeah, I wonder if that gets trickles down to you guys, and you uh, you you get feedback about that. Uh, well, we, I, I also have a few, um, younger friends in, in bands and they, they do point to us and say we were influential, um, especially women songwriters and singers. Yeah. Yep. You know, Xane is, is one of, uh, you know, three or four, Susie Sue and Debbie Harry and Xane and, you know, Chrissy Hind, I guess, but, yep. uh, yep. you know, Xane's just a terrific writer and, and she's got a, an incredible presence. You don't want to make her mad. If you ever, Marty, if you if you ever if you ever get in the room with Xene, don't make her mad because I will there's not. Nothing, there's nothing more. There's nothing more powerful than a than a a, a woman of a small stature, because uh, yeah, she will put you in your place. All anyway, right. uh, like you speak yeah. from experience. <laughs> well, we were married. Yes, I, I do, right. and, and I'm I'm incredibly fortunate to have a partner like her. Uh, you know, soul mate of, of some sort, you know, yep. partner in crime. Because uh, yep. we, we, you know, we can sing together 
even if one or the other messes up or starts to improvise and do something different, we kind of know where the other one's going to go and, and can, yeah. you know, take the ride with them. So yeah. we're crazy fortunate to do that. And, and I think we're going to make some more music. You know, we put that cool. record out in 2020 and that was, uh, it was well received and, and we had a, you know, it was really rewarding. Uh, so why not? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Alrighty. Well, what are you, looking forward to Friday. It's just, well, today is Thursday here, so it's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Yes. Excellent. I'll, I'll be so, celebrating a, the day on all the platforms. <laughs> yeah. We're actually, we're tomorrow. We're playing at a, a place, uh, about 40 miles out of, uh, Austin in a little town named Fisher. F I S C H E R. You can look it up. Fisher, Texas. Right. And the name of the place is the devil's backbone tavern. And supposedly <laughs> it's just a, it's a wonderful, like traditional Texas honky tonk. I haven't been there yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like fun. Wish I could be there. All righty. Well, yeah. come down this, this part of the planet when you get a chance. We'd love to see you I would again. love to. I would love to. Um, who knows? 